five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. We are live in action. Welcome to another edition of 15 Minutes of Flame. This is Robert Phoenix broadcasting to you live from the frigid, we're talking frigid atmospheres of uh, Texas here in the Hill Country. So behind me, I have a, a lovely picture, if you can see it, if you were here on the live stream. Uh, that is a building in Sevastopol, which is on the Crimea. I thought we would have a little bit of imagery from this part of the world that seems to be on fire so that we can know that there are actually people living there, having lives there, and um, in many ways, uh, probably experiencing some level of fulfillment. So good morning and uh, welcome to the show. If you're listening on the podcast side of things, uh, we meet here every day at 15minutesofflame.com at 9-11. We endeavor to be here as timely as possible. We also have an interesting group of people that hang out in our chat section, also known as uh, Chataria. Used to be Chatlandia, but we uh, we renamed it so that we could claim our place amongst the uh, the great buildings that are still standing from that once regal civilization. Uh, looking at some very interesting pictures of Sevastopol, they had, a, they had a pretty big war there at one point, and it looks like they destroyed a lot of very interesting buildings. This is a not uncommon as we go through these periods of quote-unquote great resets. Uh, let's see. We also have some interesting looking people in Sevastopol. So Sevastopol is in Crimea and it is in the part of the world that we're going to be talking about today. So let's see, who do we have here in chat? What brave souls have entered into this world? We've got, uh, let's see, start at the top of the list, Empath. Oh, you heard me last night with Clyde. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I was on last night with Clyde Lewis. It's always an interesting journey with Clyde. Um, <laughs> I love being on with Clyde. Don't get me wrong. It's great. But I'm on for an hour and I get to talk for about 10 minutes. Uh, so, you know, anytime they want me to be on, I'm happy to be on because I, I think he does great work. But it's always it's always an interesting experience. And he has a lot to say. Clyde has a lot to say. He has a lot to share. And what a what a momentous birthday he had yesterday on 222 2022. How about that? I got some. I got some interesting numerology to share with you guys today around 22222. And as it relates to 
the whole um, Ukraine story, which we're going to take a look at. Like, how did they get there? How did how did we get here? What what were the what were the pieces that brought us to this quote unquote global crisis? We'll take a look at that today. Uh, you're watching from Boxcast. You know, some people do that. Uh, let's see. I am as well. Uh, the screen is larger on Boxcast. <laughs> well, you can, if you want to, you could actually make my screen larger. But if you do that, you probably wouldn't get the chat. Just by clicking on the screen, you can have a little bar that makes it bigger, but then you will not see the chat. So um, what I could do, if I wanted to, is I, I could make the I could make the window bigger on the page. So it just depends on how big do you want it. Let's see, Kelly B, <clears throat> good morning to you. Yes, we are in crazy times. Boxcast would be would be appreciated. Okay. Um, God, I mean, if you guys are just going to Boxcast, why, why have a website? I'll just stream on Boxcast. I guess. <laughs> I'll make the window bigger. And maybe you can come back here. You're watching it, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, as, as you notice, uh, I do have a podcast player now at the top of each show. And the reason for that is some people actually just like listening to the podcast. And um, so I have that and you can, you can see it above the, uh, the previous episodes that I've had for the last week, which will be ongoing. Uh, I think um, I'll put a link up for the Clyde show on Twitter. I'll put it up there. Uh, Fran is in the house. What's going on? Thomas Jordan is here. Yes. The show will be available. Um, we got the best news about my sister yesterday. She drastically improved. Right around the time we entered Pisces season, it went from Vax, went from Max on vent to 55%. She's now 45%. By the way, she's a Pisces. What good? The solar return can help. Uh, let's see who else do we have here. Beth Berry. What's going on, Beth? Uh, <clears throat> Miss Nakia. Good morning to you, Miss Nakia. Who else do we have? Kabuki Theater, change the only concept. Be like water, my friends, from the famous words of Bruce Lee. JJ Rain DeBlanc is here. What's going on, JJ? Sony back in the house. Good to see you. Equicentric. I still prefer the old chat. Me too. Some people do, some people don't. That's, uh, I, I, you can't please everybody. I've learned that. So, what is the option to please oneself? Is that the option? Every time I drink Levi's coffee, the Jefferson Airplane song, three-fifths of a mile, in 10 seconds goes through my head. It's like, yeah, John Levi does have really good coffee. I totally agree with that. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? Uh, Wendy says, grandchildren are the best. I might, I might experience that. Chris and Steve in the house. What's going on? Krimi's. Krimi's here. Who else do we have? Tondar. You first heard me on Clyde in the beginning of 2020. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing Clyde's show for a while now. I think the first time I was on with Clyde was 
maybe like uh, 2018, 2019. I'm not even sure how our paths crossed. To be honest with you, but I like what he does. He does really great work. He's a good writer too. Uh, let's see. It's too hard to chat and watch 15 minutes of flame at the same time, but you can just listen, I suppose. Uh, let's see. Cremo, what's going on, Christine? Hope you're doing well. You are the walrus here. Chat, chat needs to be on the side while watching. Okay. Some people, you know, you know what I could do is I could have two chats. <laughs> I could split it up like Ukraine. I could have one chat at the bottom and one chat on the side, and then you guys can figure out which one you want to use. But I have to pay for that other chat, which means that I might have to increase my membership fees or at least get more members. That would be helpful. All right. Can't please everybody, but you're here now, and I'm glad you're here. So uh, let's keep rolling and talk about a few things. So I think we're, we're pretty much finished with the, the trek from um, George Moscone and Harvey Milk and Jim Jones through that Byzantine uh, exploration of what was happening in California in the 1970s up through Synanon. And I, like, I could probably do another six hours on Synanon. I mean, I, there's a lot of things that I, I left out, but I tried to get as much high-level material with Synanon as possible so that you guys can understand it. And the, like I said, the strange paradox that Synanon is and what it becomes, it's just really bizarre. But at the same time, it changes how we deal with addiction in this country and in the world. I mean, it, what, there wasn't anything like it period, end of story. So the only other thing that I, that I was hoping to get into, and maybe I will, I'll, I'll think about it over the course of the next couple of days, is I did want to revisit uh, the ties between the Symbionese Liberation Army and Project Phoenix and Colston Weston, who is this key player, his relationship with Donald DeFreeze. I may drop into that around Thursday. Uh, but I feel like there's a lot to talk about here with what's going on in uh, Central Europe as it relates to Ukraine and Russia and the United States. So what's really interesting, if you look at the headline for today's show, there were two countries that were born out of this. And uh, it's uh, Luhansk and Donetsk. And what's it, so... Yesterday is the day. Now, I somebody was in chat yesterday and giving me shit about the actual days for the Pluto. Any, any astrologer who's worth this all, I hate that fucking phrase. Okay, so just to set the, the, the you know, the story aright, right? Just to set the record straight, if you go back and you track where Pluto was in 1776, it shows up for the first time at 27 degrees in February of 1776. If you're using Placidus, that's where it shows up. Eventually, what happens with Pluto and like all the planets with the exception of the moon and the sun, 
is that it goes retrograde. So it goes forward, it goes backwards, and it goes forward again. So by the time it reaches July 4th, 1776, it is at 27 degrees again. We will still go through periods of Pluto retrograding and coming back to 27 degrees on or around the same degree as Pluto in the United States chart. Pluto will finally resolve this transit through the final two degrees of Capricorn in 2024. So if you start, right, if you start with Pluto in Capricorn early on in 1776 and you bring it up to 2024, you get 248 years, if I'm not mistaken. If I'm not mistaken. Um, so let's just, can we just put that to rest? And, the, and, and apparently there was somebody in the chat yesterday who was uh, bad-mouthing Noreen, uh, who, uh, who has the show Wild at Heart that I am on sometimes on uh, Monday night. And I was this last night. It was, I thought it was a really good show. And they were bad-mouthing her because she had a, a connection with, uh, what's his name, uh, Douglas Diederich, which is interesting because Diederich has the same last name sort of as Diederich, Chuck Diederich. Anyway, it, it, Douglas Diederich is a very questionable character. Like he's got some weird shit in his background, kind of melts down. And he was, he was this darling of the alternative, you know, truth world, right? Uh, and then a lot of strange shit starts to happen around him. Weird things come out about him. It, Randy Moggins used to have him on a lot. And, you know, just because somebody had a relationship with somebody else at a certain point in time doesn't mean that they have a fucking scarlet letter on him, okay? Like, if we were to look into everybody's background, I'm sure we'd find that there would be questionable relationships with people from our past and it wouldn't be that it's like it's kind of like this weird version of alt-right doxing it's you know i, I look unless somebody is engaged in a relationship currently that you know raises some level of suspicion uh you know you may you may you may want to check yourself because i'm sure that uh if we went, you know, rooting around uh, your closet, we'd probably find a few care, few unsavory characters that uh, this person had had a connection with or some kind of relationships with. It's just the way it is. I mean, you can't go through life without crossing paths at certain points in time with people that are, you know, that are, you know, questionable or they wind up, having a different kind of evolution or de-evolution. By the way, Cliff High started to talk about de-evolution. And I, I swear to God, I think people listen to my shit. This is my, this is, this is my Chuck Dieterich paranoid self. Listen to my shit and go, okay, yeah, well, let's listen. That used to happen with Alex Jones all the time. I used to do, 
you know, show this was on YouTube. So it's pretty, pretty open. And I swear to God, 24 hours later, 48 hours later, Alex Jones would be talking about the same thing that I was talking about. It's like, oh, that's interesting. And by the way, I, I've heard that Alex Jones skims other websites and grabs things from other websites because he's got to continue to feed his news cycle every single day. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's got all these other fingers and a lot of different pies. But, you know, I think we just need to lighten up on certain people. And, you know, there's enough character assassination that goes on and some characters <laughs> need to be assassinated, I guess, right? Like, go after a bigger fucking fish. You know, Maureen is somebody who's a good person and she does her best to have a, a podcast and a stream on Revolution Radio. You know, she's, she's, she's not killing babies and she's, you know, not having adrenochrome smoothies. So, you know, just lighten up. And if I see that shit again in the chat, I'll, I'll bounce you. Which means that I should be looking more at chat because now we don't really have monitors. Um, guilt by association, lazy podcasters methodology. I agree. You know, I mean, I, I talked about how I was at um, High Wind, which was a uh, an alternative community in Wisconsin. And I spent a week with David Spangler. And you go through and look up David Spangler and you'll see uh, Luciferian. And, and David Spangler is the you know, one of the progenitors of the New Age. And New Age is a false teaching. Like I was there for a week. With a guy. I've been to Findhorn, okay? So, you know, does that make me a theoretical bad person? Because David Spangler was at, at, at an event that I was at for uh, a week. I spent a month at this place. And when he was there, you know, I had hardly any contact with him, but he taught a few things. And when he was there and he had leisure time, the guy was a father, he had kids, and he was a computer wonk. This was very early on. This was in the early days of computers. So this was 1984. So what are we talking about? DOS? He's running DOS programs and spending most of his time. Like, that's not what you look for in uh, a soul-sucking uh luciferic uh, satanic influence over you know millions of people it just it didn't fit the model okay so we all have these slightly dubious situations or people in our past it doesn't it doesn't negate who we are now trust me And so one thing I do miss about this chat is that there is no moderation and I have to be the moderator, which means every now and then I have to go back in and see how you're doing. But that's okay. It's kind of like a party. I could move around the house and come back. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? I miss parties. I used to go to a lot. That was one of my favorite pastimes was parties. I loved going to parties. Are you kidding me? When I was a kid, who do, I mean, when you're in high school, who doesn't live for going to a party? I mean, that was, that was one of my favorite pastimes. And we got to, we got to have kind of a notorious reputation, me and me, uh, a buddy of mine. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing. But uh, I need more parties in my life. Maybe when I do my tour, we can have a few parties along the way. Wouldn't that be fun? be great we need more parties come on 
It's a, it's it's a we've been we've been in such a depressed and compressed state. People have been locked in and locked up and fearful and having to deal with this mass formation psychosis through attack therapy and all the other measures that they've been using to socially engineer us. I think one of the best antidotes would be to have a really good party. But that would include a band. We got we got to have a band, maybe maybe a DJ. So maybe some libations, you know, maybe a little few libations just to kind of grease the wheels, oil things up a little bit, some really good food. Wouldn't that be fun? So maybe we could do some parties while I plan my road trip. By the way, I just hired a personal assistant. This is These are my steps this year to do more to kind of formalize what I'm doing. You can see here on this website, I'm, it's, which is under construction, um, I've got my my podcast being distributed through transistor.fm and they're on Spotify and a number of other third-party podcasts. It's on Amazon. It's on Google. So I'm doing my best here to try to climb the mountain. It is Pluto and Capricorn. Right? You got to get to the top of the mountain before you get to the other side of the mountain. So, um, yeah, working on working on a number of different things, and we'll get there. We will get there. It takes a little bit of time, and the ability for me to uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, manage people, right? Manage the situation, and you know, try try to be less of a control freak, Virgo. Because I just, I realize I, if I want to maintain and sustain what I'm doing, I just, I can't do it alone. Or I really can't do it alone. Like it's always going to be limited. It's always going to be a limited space and a limited scope because, you know, you know, one of the things that I do is I do readings for clients, right? So if you break down the, the hours of my day, I'm here for 90 minutes and it's some of the, you know, it's the, one of the, one of the best hour and a half or 90 minute periods of my day. Right. And then I usually go, go into two to three readings a day. I try not to do more than two, but sometimes I'll do three. And then I, you know, have to do things like answer email, which I'm, I've got my assistant helping me with, <laughs> which is important. And so it takes, it takes a fair amount of time. Right. So my day essentially from eight o'clock until 5.30 is about either doing this or assisting people. So it's really hard for me to, you know, build certain things. And uh, I'm in the process of changing that. So if you are still here and you are still supporting through subscription, I really appreciate you. And uh, thank you for your support because it will allow me to continue to do this and will allow us to continue to have a robust level of communication and hopefully build our community even more because um, I think it's a little bit bigger. Like there are rings, right? There are these concentric rings. And you guys that are here in chat right now, you're 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 like Mercury around the sun. I'm not saying I'm the sun, but let's just say for example, I am the sun. You're Mercury. And there are people that do listen to the show and connect and they're out on Pluto, right? They're around. They may not chat, and, but they check in every now and then. I think a really good um, barometer is the Sunday night show. Because Sunday night show usually gets, we usually have around 300 people in chat 
out on Sunday night, which is great. And I think I average around 3,000 views on the Sunday night show, which is what, what YouTube is telling me. And I think YouTube lies, and I'm not the only one, just in terms of stats. Okay, all right. Well, thanks for listening to that, and let's get going. Let's get into today's show. So we're going to look at this. I, so there's this very interesting kind of doppelganger effect that Russia is playing the role of a liberator. And the United States on its Pluto return is playing the role of the oppressor in a lot of ways. So we have, in, in many regards, taken on the role of King George. Like this, so the crown or this idea of the crown, I think has become much more prevalent than the actual spirit in which the country has been uh, created under. And you can debate as much as you want about the validity, the timing, the background of the people that did this, right? But we have this document and there's really no other document like it. And, you know, as a result of that, we also have this thing called the constitution which has gone through all these different changes and iterations and has been pretty watered down, to be honest. So, but that's where we, we come out of. And look at where we are now. I mean, we are, you know, we're just steps away from complete and utter tyranny. The thing that we as a country a long time ago, again, parse your history for better or worse, we unlocked ourselves from this relationship with the crown. Now, a lot of people didn't want it. There were, there were a lot of people like, hey, we're cool. We don't, we don't mind being a part of uh, England as a colony. We're, we're cool with that. And I think it might, it might have been the majority, actually. Maybe it was around, somewhere around, I don't know, maybe mid 70%, but it was the 25%. The thing about revolutions is really interesting is that you don't need a lot of people. You don't need a lot of people to start a revolution. I mean, look at what happened during the summer of 2020. We had a revolution. How many people were actually involved in that revolution on the streets? What, maybe 5,000, 10,000 people? hitting various cities, tearing down various statues, shooting police officers. You know, how many people were really involved with that? Not many. Revolutions don't take a lot of people. Look at what happened in Iran when the students began to overthrow uh, the government of the, of the Shah and they brought in uh, Ayatollah Khomeini. There weren't that many people. It started with a small group of students and then ultimately it, they fan the flames and uh, you have a, a uh, group of more traditionalist and Orthodox uh, Muslims inside of Iran that believe that, you know, they were not living a righteous lifestyle that uh, would make Muhammad proud. So they were dormant, like that world was dormant and you have these revolutionaries that come in and fan the flames. So that's a whole, that's an operation, right? That thing is run. That operation is run. Uh, Ahmadinejad is one of the leaders of the student group and eventually winds up running Iran. 
right? So the whole thing was was a psychological operation. They wanted to get the Shah of Iran out. He wanted to nationalize the oil. And the Seven Sisters were not going to allow him to do that. So it doesn't really take a lot of people to uh, overthrow government. And we're going to look at that today as it relates to what happened in Ukraine in 2014. This is a really interesting component to this whole 2022-2022 algorithm. Let's call it an algorithm. And when when we look at it, you'll see why. You'll see who the players are, how this whole thing unfolds, and brings us to where we are now, right? But we're in this period of revolutionary change. And we've been in it for a while because... As an astrologer, when I look at aspects, if you have Pluto at 25 degrees Capricorn, uh, it's within a two-degree orb of Pluto at 27. Hello, guess what? It's called a conjunction. And anything within four degrees, you really start to feel the conjunction start to happen. So we've been in this phase for a while. It's not like all of a sudden, oh, hey, 222, 22. We wake up and we're dealing with this uh, intense cardinal crisis. No, we've been there. I mean, we, you can go back to January of 2020 with the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, which is a 25 degrees Capricorn. To me, that's where it all starts. And we've been in this phase and in this cycle. We've been working up to this moment in time. By the way, I had this uh, I had this insight last night. It was on, it was, you know, these things happen. Like when I, I wouldn't call myself a channel, but there are times when I get into something and all of a sudden things start to come to me and, you know, I'll, I'll start to talk about something and then I'm talking about something that I hadn't planned on talking about. That's how it works. Anyway, uh, when I was on Clyde's show last night, I had this very strong hit that Joe Biden will, will die this year in, in office. This is how they will move Kamala Harris in. That, that Biden will expire in office. He won't step down. He will expire in office. And when he does, it, it will take everything. Hunter Biden, Ukraine, they'll just bury it. Right? They will just bury it. And it came to me last night. I don't know when that's going to happen, but it just came to me last night. You're, you, Biden will not last a year. And if he does last a year, then I was wrong. But that was my hit last night. I didn't really get to talk about it on Clyde's show. Anyway... Um, Biden's a good place to start because he's part of the administration that runs this Maidan revolution. And if you look at Ukraine, Ukraine has this history of volatility going all the way back into the 90s. So why don't we just, let's drop into Ukraine for a minute, look at this, you know, how they got here, how they got to this point. And, you know, why, why it's an issue, particularly for Russia. So I'm going to uh, just hit Ukraine's Wikipedia page because it has the basics, which is um, what we need to just wrap our heads around here in terms of a timeline. You know, how true it is is a whole other story. So we're going to drop into the uh, Wikipedia page of Ukraine, and I'm going to 
just look at the cycles and events here. We're, we're not going to get into the, uh, the deep historical past. Although this guy's got a pretty rocking outfit there. Who, what kind of technology is that? He's holding something that looks like a, a scepter with what looks like a, a mace on the, like a mace ball on the end of it. Um, what are the, I mean, I mean, when you go back and you look at some of these things that people are holding, what, what, what is their actual function? Like, does he use that to knock people around, hit them upside the head, and get, get them to uh, do his bidding? I don't think so. Is that what he uses as his holy decree? You know, this, this rod with the bulbous end on the, on the tip of it? <laughs> Pun slightly intended there. Or does it perform some kind of a function? This is something we've talked about. This is a Cossack, by the way. Uh, his name is Bodan Helman of Ukraine. And he established uh, an independent Ukrainian Cossack state after the uprising in 1840, 1648 against Poland. So Ukraine has a history of uprisings. So what we want to do is we want to get into where we are now. Who's this guy? Uh is it Kinley? Kinley Razumovsky, the last hetman of left and right bank Ukraine. He's got another one of these scepter deals, although his is a little bit different. The tip on it is a little more, it's not as round and bulbous. It's probably a little more mushroom shaped. Okay. Let's just get to the present here. Big history, significant damage during World War II. You can see that. I mean, this is one of the things that both World War I and World War II do. They level the topography of Europe, just absolutely level the topography. And a lot of these Tartarian structures wind up getting destroyed. Some still are still around. I, I've, I cruise through... Um, some pictures of Sevastopol, and you can see some very interesting older buildings in Sevastopol, and you go, oh, yeah, that looks like a Tartarian structure. And then, of course, what they do is they remake the borders when they have these wars. And what we're seeing is we're seeing the, re the remaking of a border. And we're, you know, don't, don't kid yourself. This is a war, okay? It's a war. It may not be a war that's all out, but it is a war. You have the United States issuing weak sanctions against Russia, and they've been doing the sanction trip since, what, 20, 2014, 2015, right around there. And it really hasn't done a whole lot. Like Russia's been able to survive amidst all these sanctions. The big thing that, that uh, they're, they're really interfering with is this Nord Stream pipeline which is there to bring energy to Europe. And apparently one of the big recipients of the Nord Stream pipeline is Germany. And they're, they're pretty pissed. And Germany has kind of pulled out of this NATO effort to make sure that Russia does not gain any more access with Ukraine. And by the way, just to set the record straight, when 
Ukraine became Ukraine and had its independence, there is an agreement with NATO and Russia that everything is going to stay, stay the same. Like NATO would not reach out and try to bring more of these uh, balkanized states that were all of a sudden available now once the wall went down. That's not true. NATO's lied. And they had an agreement with Russia. So they broke an agreement, which does that surprise you at all? No, not at all. Anyway, we're just looking at some of the pictures on the way up here. All right, so this is the independence on 21 January uh, 1990. Over 300,000 Ukrainians organized a human chain for Ukrainian independence between Kiev and Lviv in memory of the 1919 unification in the Ukrainian People's Republic. So on the 16th of July, 1990, a new parliament adopted the Declaration of States uh, Sovereignty of Ukraine. This established the principles of self-determination, democracy. They do not have a democracy in Ukraine, by the way. They don't. I don't know how you describe their government, but it's not a democracy the way that we would understand a democracy. So this is kind of the lead up to everything. Uh, a referendum in first president, presidential elections took place on 1 December 1991. More than 90% of the electorate expressed their support for the act of independence. And they elected the chairman of the parliament, Leonid Kravchuk, as the first president of Ukraine at the meeting in Brest, Belarus, on 8 December, followed by the Alma-Ata meeting on 21st December. Leaders of Belarus, Russia, and Ukraine formally dissolved the Soviet Union and formed the Commonwealth of Independent States on 26 December 1991. The Council of Republics of the USSR Supreme Council adapted declaration in regards to the creation of a Commonwealth of Independent States, which de jure dissolved the Soviet Union and the Soviet flag was lowered over the Kremlin. This is a pivotal time. So you're also seeing the birth of this Federation of Russia. Ukraine was initially viewed as having favorable economic conditions in comparison to the other regions of the Soviet Union. If you go in and look at the topography of Ukraine, it's really interesting. They have a lot of natural resources. They've got a wide variety of different types of forests. So they have these Carpathian forests. They have, um, what do you call it? A, a con, con, not coniferous, a contiguous. So they have a, a very eclectic uh, natural environment. Very, so there's a lot of resources in Ukraine. And I think they have over 6,000 species of fungi and if you're not familiar with the relationship between fungi and that part of the world, you know, this is where a lot of the great mushroom hunters come out of. I had a friend, family friend, who was originally from Russia, spent time in Siberia, by the way. He was a political prisoner, came out of there. And that's what he did. He was a mycologist, right? So he'd go out into the wild and he would hunt mushrooms. It's a very... Uh, popular hobby or popular pastime in this part of the world. Ukraine's got over 6,000 varieties of fungi, and apparently they haven't, they haven't been able to uh, index all of them, which is interesting. 
All right. So this is the, the genesis of everything here. The Ukrainian economy stabilized by the end of 19. A new currency, the Hervinia, okay, was introduced in 1996. After 2000, the country uh, enjoyed steady, real economic growth. You don't think that the globalists are paying attention? Oh, look, they've got stable economic growth. <laughs> let's get in on that and let's help them. Uh, averaging about 7% annually. That's pretty good. A new constitution of Ukraine was adopted under second president, Leonid uh, Kuchma, in 1996, which turned Ukraine into a semi-presidential republic. This is what happens with Ukraine. They keep changing their template for governance. And if you think about it, this is a region that's opening up. It's been under the wraps of the Soviet Union, which probably didn't do the best job of going in and tapping into, and I'll use the word, exploiting the resources of the region and engaging in a level of production. The Soviet Union was pretty limited in that way. And a lot of it had to do with the model itself, it was not a capitalistic model, it was state-sponsored. So there's not a lot of um, incentive to go in and rape and pillage and plunder the environment. No, that's, you could do those things in a responsible way. Just ask Klaus Schwab, uh, I'm kidding. Now, but, but they didn't have the incentive. But once the wall falls, all of a sudden you have the West moving and go, oh, they start sharpening their their swords, they start sharpening their axes, the edges of their shovels, because they want to dig in and they want to get some of this. Uh, so so Kuchma, however, was criticized by opponents for corruption and electoral fraud. We don't know that to be true. Because now, once you open this place up and they have all these resources, well, you have people who want to come in and create division, create confusion, because chaos is always one of the best things to institute change. So that's exactly what they do. They begin to uh, spread rumors. Uh, they begin to bring in agents provocateurs. And they start the process of regime change. Now, he may have been corrupt, maybe. I don't know too many political leaders who aren't corrupt. It goes along with being a high-ranking political leader. You have to deal with corruption just the way it is. And um, I don't think you have anybody on the planet right now who's running a country who's a goody fucking two-shoes. This is, this is, you know, we're talking turf wars. We're talking gangsters. We're talking Bill Gates. We're talking Klaus Schwab, right? I mean, this is, this is the group, you know, old money gangsters, the Rothschilds, the Goldschmidts. The black families of Venice, the original gangsters. So you cannot be engaged in the running of a country unless you can be a bit of a gangster. This is one of the things that, unfortunately, Trump had working for him and against him because Trump is a bit of a gangster. He understands the game. He understands these people. He understands how they operate. You know, I was watching a rerun of... Uh, the Apprentice the other day. It was just a brief bit. And it was when Gilbert Gottfried was on the show. And it reminded me of how, in some ways, and how likable Trump was. 
when you when I watched The Apprentice, it was, and I used to watch it. Honestly, I, I before The Apprentice, I didn't really like Donald Trump. Not that I don't like people from New York. I do like people from New York. But I grew up in California and, you know, we have a different way of communicating, a different vibe. And I just, I, you know, I found Trump to be like a lot of people that didn't like him when he was president. Coarse. Uh, he had, he was rough around the edges. Um, he had a certain arrogance about him that I wasn't really all that into. Right. But I didn't hate Trump. I was like, oh, fuck that guy. I don't like this guy. I didn't hate Trump. It was just like, I think there's more interesting people in the world, honestly. But then he started to do The Apprentice, and we started to watch The Apprentice. And it's like, oh, he's got a personality. He's got a sense of humor. He's able to understand who's effective, who's not effective. He can read the room. So he became more interesting to me during the apprentice but it's not like i said to myself oh this guy's presidential material and man if he ever runs for president he's got my vote because he's really good on that show it didn't really work that way but i went back and watched that episode it was really it wasn't an episode it was a series of outtakes with gilbert Gottfried. it was one of the celebrity apprentices and thought to myself trump is really likable in that show and he's funny and he understands humans of course, he's a Gemini, and there's another side to that. But it just reminded me that, oh, yeah, there was this guy, and he was able to display a different part of his personality. Of course, it's a controlled setting and everything. All right, let's keep rolling here. Um, Kuchma, however, was criticized by opponents for corruption, electoral fraud, discouraging free speech, and concentrating too much power in his office. So that's always a really interesting dilemma free speech well what's happening here in this country we're criticizing the government or we're criticizing biden or we're criticizing harris or we're criticizing fauci who is part of the government and you know what do they want to do they want to get rid of free speech they'll kick you off of youtube will deplatform you uh if you're somebody who has a really big platform, like my friend Sayer G, they'll ruin you. They'll take away access to any way or means for you to be able to um, collect income. Right? They'll 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 deplatform you from PayPal and Stripe and Square. And it's getting even worse. Right? If you look at what's happening with the truckers in uh, in Canada, like they can't even get into their bank accounts now. They're frozen. And people who aided and abetted and enabled the trucker uh, protest, like that cafe uh, that I that I showed the other day, they're getting their businesses shut down. So what they're saying is, is that if you are in any way, shape, or form enabling these people, there will be a penalty and a price to pay. So it's not just the people who have dem who have used their god-given right to protest against tyranny that you know let's go back to the bible right jesus overturns the temp the 
the tables of the merchants in the temple. I mean, this is what we're talking about here. This is what they were doing. They were, they were overturning the, ta- the, the tables of the merchants in the temple by doing what they did. And the, uh, the merchants, the merchant class, doesn't allow that. You can't do that. You know, we're, there's going to be a price to pay. We're, we're going to put a bounty on your head. 40 pieces of silver. So here, also free speech is, you know, might be something completely different. Free speech, in this case, might be uh, propaganda and um, the beginnings of a coup. Right? So if you're somebody that's running a country and so-called free speech is really about people uh, spreading rumors, falsehoods, and lies, trying to smear you and do it in a way that is going to be detrimental for a leader of a country to run a country, govern a country, organize a country, bring it together in this very volatile stage where it's brand new, free speech is being weaponized. And if you're the leader of that country, what are you going to do? And I've seen this before again and again and again with so-called dictators. Because what, you know, what they're trying to do is like, hey, look, let's try to organize this thing. You know, let's get production in order. Let's get people moving in one direction so that we can have a country that can stand its own two feet. We don't have to uh, be beholden to, to the World Bank, uh, right? Um, so this is important. This is very important because I've seen it happen again and again. And then you have these agent provocateurs and they're running the presses or they're getting involved in the presses uh, and they're spreading propaganda. So now if you're somebody who's running a country, what do you do? Well, you have to put them down because if you continue to allow them to foment their, uh, you know, cancerous protestations, what's going to happen? They're going to get the people riled up. They'll turn the people against you and you're out. This is what happens all the time. So in in a lot of ways, tyrants and dictators are created. Like they are, they're creations. And really in a lot of ways, what they're just trying to do is just, they're just trying to stabilize the situation. Not in all cases, sometimes they are tyrants and dictators but you don't get to power and you don't get to run a country or stay in power unless you have some of that in your DNA or you've been empowered to do that. Sorry, that's how the game works. Weak leaders get deposed. And I'm not saying that Trump was a weak leader, but in his last year of his presidency, he was a weak leader. He got deposed. End of story. There was a coup. And if you look at what happened during the Trump administration, this is a perfect example. You know, we have free speech in this country. So Jamel Hill was on ESPN and she said Trump was a racist. And there's absolutely zero proof of that, by the way, with the exception of a case that he and his father had to go through fairly early on in their careers, real estate developers in New York City where they were being selective about who they'd rent their shitty apartments to. 
You don't think anybody else in New York did that at that time? If you don't think that that's the case, you're delusional. And we've come a long way since then. And I think uh, uh, Trump has a long history of working with people of many different stripes and many different colors. And he, he kept that weirdo, you know, betrayer Omarosa around for way too long. She lived way past her expiration date. He's loyal to her. Omarosa, she's, you know, she's black, right? And he has had a number of people in his organization and even his administration. You know, Ben Carson stayed through the Trump administration the entire time. A lot of people left. Ben Carson never left. Think about that. Uh, the Surgeon General was, uh, what was his name? Jerome, is the Allen guy. I forget his name now. Born of September 22nd. He's black. I, I, you know, Trump is a guy, if you can make him money, he doesn't, he doesn't care what color you are or what sex you are, what gender you um, assign to yourself. He's a money guy. Bottom line, if you can't make him money, if you're, if you're white, and you can't make him money, you won't be around. Sorry, that's just the way he works, it's the way he operates. He's a capitalist. But if you look at what was going on, Jamel Hill says he's a racist. Now, we live in a country where Jamel Hill can say that. Trump took so much shrapnel and collateral damage over the course of four years, where his character was denigrated, his name was dr dragged through the streets, mud was slinging 24-7, and a lot of it were falsehoods and lies. And so this is the environment that free speech allows. Even if it's, even if it's wrong, even if it's slanderous or libelous, you know, theoretically, there are legal remedies for these things. But Trump allowed this. He didn't try to quash these people. He didn't try to shut ESPN down because Jamel Hill called him a racist. He was, he was called a racist almost every single night on CNN. And worse things, did, did Trump trample on their First Amendment rights? No. He could have. If he was a really dyed-in-the-wool dictator, and again, I'm not here to preach the rehabilitation of Donald Trump. Just, I want to be on the record with that. I'm just looking at it from my perspective. He was a shitty dictator because a really good dictator would have silenced these people and hard. That's what a really good dictator would have done. But he didn't do it. A really good dictator, in my opinion, would have taken the COVID crisis and instead of allowing the World Economic Forum and Bill Gates and uh, Tony Fauci and the CDC and the WHO and NIAID to run that program, a really good dictator would have run that program. Now, if I were Trump and I was in office, and I've said this before, I would have had a state of emergency that was even more drastic than the one that we were in. And are still in, by the way, 
Biden just renewed the 313 state of emergency quietly. He just renewed that because it's coming up a couple of weeks, right? We're still in it, which means in a lot of ways that we're not even really a republic anymore. We are as balkanized as Russia was after the wall fell, only it's less obvious. But if I was Trump, I would have, I would have done way more. I would have shut all travel down immediately, all travel coming in and out of the country, boom, done, unless it had to do with uh, goods, right? If we're receiving goods and we, we can basically agree that, okay, we're going to allow ships with containers to come in and planes that are bringing cargo, in. that's it. You know, no passenger travel comes into the country. And by the way, you know, by declaring that we're in a state of emergency, continuity of government, I'm taking control of the media. That's what a good dictator would have done. They would have taken control of the media. They would have taken control of CNN and Fox and MSNBC. And the only thing you would see would be, guess what? Donald Trump related material. And he could do that. They could do that based on um, the um, executive order that allows FEMA to do what FEMA can do, right? It's in there. But Trump would have had to go and kind of fix things a little bit before that happened. Like he would have had to make himself the head of FEMA before that happened. And that's what a good dictator would do. A good dictator would say, well, let me consecrate power here. Let me run FEMA. You know, screw Chad Wolf. I'm going to run FEMA. So then at that point, it's like, hey, I'm running FEMA now. So I am the president and I am FEMA. That's what good dictators do. They, con they concentrate power. And then he could have just said, okay, we're shutting down. CNN, you can't do anything about it. Look, it says right here. And then in that interim, what I would have done if I was Trump is I would have sat Jeff Zucker down and all these other people down and say, look, I could run this thing for a long time. And you're gonna you're gonna take it in the shorts in terms of advertising revenue. So when and and by the way, I could even revoke your FCC license. I mean, this is what good dictators do. So you've got two to three weeks here to really rethink your programming and what you're broadcasting to the American people. And you sit down, you get agreements with these people. Like you get, get these agreements. I don't care if you fuck them, write them in blood. And if they renege on the agreements, you just say, look, I'll call another state of emergency again. We'll do this all over again. It's up to you. Right? I mean, this, this is not what a dictator does, Jasper. Jasper's a soft dictator. If you're just listening, Jasper, the astrological cat is uh, joining the uh, conversation. So you, you solve that problem. You go to the New York times, you go to all these other periodicals, during that downtime, just say, look, here's the deal. I'm going to shut you down. Yeah, I'm, we're taking control of the press. You're not going to put out another issue, which means your advertising revenues. We're going to shut down your website. This is what dictators do. He didn't do that. But coming out the other side, right, coming out the other side, guess what? He would also say, yep. We beat COVID, and that that would be the message that CNN, Fox, MSNBC, the three major networks, the New York Times, 
Sinclair Media. That's the message now that they're all agreeing upon, that they beat COVID. The COVID's over, right? That's what a good dictator would do. Crisis solved. You've taken the big stick to the media companies, to the major presses by shutting them down for a period of time. And that you, as the dictator, get to beam your message 24-7 because you basically have taken over during a time of emergency crisis. That's what a good dictator does. If I was Trump, honestly, I would have done that. I would have done it. And in that two-week period on the other side, you wouldn't see Tony Fauci. Because it'd be over. This is what happens, right? These people who are supposedly there to run countries are always being undermined. Constant state of revolution, constant state of chaos, Ordo Abchow. All right, let's keep going. Here's where everything begins to kick into gear for Ukraine. We start with the first of the color revolutions, which is the Orange Revolution in 2004. Uh, Viktor Yanukovych, by the way, today is Viktor Yanukovych's birthday. So we get into some interesting numbers with Ukraine, and I'll show you before the end of the show just how interesting they are. Then Prime Minister was declared the winner of the presidential elections, which had been largely rigged. That's what, you know, theoretically, that's what they say. We don't know. It's fucking Wikipedia. In which country doesn't rig elections? You don't think our elections are rigged here? Please. As the Supreme Court of Ukraine later ruled, the results caused a public outcry in support of the opposition candidate. Viktor Yushchenko, Victor Yushchenko who challenged the outcome during the tumultuous months of the revolution, candidate Yushchenko suddenly became gravely ill. So Yanukovych won the election. This guy, it's Viktor Yushchenko. Yushchenko's, um, uh, I'm sorry, um, it's Yushchenko's birthday today, this guy, right? So he's the third president from 23rd of January. 25th February 2010. I'll show you what happens here. So Yushchenko strongly suspected Russian involvement in his poisoning. We again, possibly. We don't know. There, there are plenty of intelligence agencies. There are plenty of disruptive groups in the world who want to create chaos and want to take advantage of that. Could Russia be involved? Sure. Why not? Could it have been another intel agency, CIA, Mossad? Sure, absolutely. Um, activists of the Orange Revolution were funded and trained in tactics of political organization and nonviolent resistance by Western pollsters. So what we're seeing here is uh, Akpor, who are uh, very, by this time, they're pretty, they're pretty well-oiled machine. Um, they were instrumental in the a revolution that took place in Hungary. Uh, and they are being trained by Gene Sharp, who is the grandfather of color revolutions, Soros-backed, and you're also seeing the advent of the cell phone, right? By 1994, we're starting to see cell phones come into play. Um, they wind up becoming much more instrumental in these color revolutions as time goes on. Okay. Uh, Western pollsters and professional consultants who are partly funded by Western government and non 
government agencies, but received most of their funding from domestic sources. The NGOs are fronts. We know that. So you, what you're seeing here is you're seeing the West come in and basically fund this orange revolution. This is what's happening. They're creating the dissension. They're creating the destabilizing elements because they want a certain person in who is going to be more um, willing to carry out their objectives. And the reason, so there's a reason why they don't want uh, Yanukovych in, and I'll show you why in a minute here. According to The Guardian, the foreign donors included the U.S. State Department, uh, U.S. aid, and along with the National Democratic Institute for International Affairs, the International Republican Institute, the NGO Freedom House, and George Soros's Open Society Institute. These are the people that are funding this thing. They're funding it, and they're running it, and they're using a trained group of operatives, a cadre of operatives, to run this revolution, okay? This is nothing new. You go back to the Bolshevik revolution, it's the same model. It's just gotten more sophisticated. And instead of throwing Molotov cocktails, they bang drums and turn it into a, a bit of a party, which is what Gene Sharp and the color revolution ideology is supposed to be about. Okay, let's keep going here. Uh, the National Endowment for Democracy has supported democracy building efforts in Ukraine since 1988. What is democracy? Democracy is really just mob rule. If we think that democracy is such a great thing, uh, trust me, there's no checks and balances with a democracy. If you have mob rule, you have a democracy. Writings on nonviolent struggle by Gene Sharp contributed in forming the strategic base of the student campaigns. Let's just take a little bit of a detour here. Let's look at the life of Gene Sharp. Of course, he's an Aquarius. When you look at the players who are generally engaged in revolutionary acts, they're Aquarians, for better or worse. Saul Alinsky is an Aquarian. Ronald Reagan was a revolutionary. He was a conservative revolutionary, but he's a revolutionary. He's an Aquarian. So Gene Sharp, who just passed away in 2018, he was 90 years old, essentially wrote the Bible on nonviolent resistance. Sharp has been called both the Machiavelli of nonviolence and the Clausewitz of the nonviolent of nonviolent warfare. It is claimed by some that Sharp's scholarship has influenced resistance organizations around the world. His works remain the ideological underpinning of the work of the Serbian base. That was it was Serbia. It was Otpor, the Serbian-based uh, nonviolent contact training group, Center for Applied Nonviolent Action and Strategies, and that's uh, is it. Uh, uh, Popovic, so, what was his name? Sergey Popovic. Sergey Popovic, what is he? He's an Aquarian, right? This is the guy who starts, starts Otpor, and he's now an international consultant for essentially regime change and overthrowing governments. So we can see the daisy chain here with all this stuff. So Sharp is... Uh, a key figure in all this stuff. Right? He is the grandfather. He's the spiritual godfather of these nonviolent revolutions. So it all starts under the orange 
revolution. All right, let's move forward here. We've got um, a little less than half an hour left. So this is where things really um, get cranked up. Right here, Russian authorities provided support through advisors such as Gleb Pavlovsky consulting on blackening the image of Yushchenko through the state media, pressuring state-dependent voters to vote for Yanukovych. I don't understand where the issue is with that. You have the United States, you have these NGOs, you have ultimately NATO and the European Union all backing these color revolutionaries. Like, why don't you just stay the fuck out? Just stay the fuck out. Don't, don't you have better things to do like with the country that is supplying? Those are your tax dollars, by the way. Your tax dollars are going to USAID and a number of these NGOs to pull this shit. And maybe those tax dollars can be redirected and applied in a different area. So why does, why does one group get to lean on these international organizations, these NGOs, the United States, and George Soros, and the other side can't have some form of aid from Russia? It's bullshit. Sorry. Whatever you think of Russia, it's bullshit. Because, because this is how the game is being played. Let's keep going. Uh, Yanukovych returned to power in 2006 as prime minister in the Alliance of National Unity until snap elections in September 2007, made Timoshenko prime minister again. So there's this woman, uh, what's her name? Timoshenko. She, so they've got this weird thing. They have prime ministers and presidents. It's, you know, again, this is to me, this is not like a, a republic. And so when you have a system of governance as flawed as it is in this country and as much flack as it's taken, when you look at the mess that comes out of something like Ukraine, you go, wow, I mean, this is kind of fucked up, but this is even more fucked up, right? Um, so Yanukovych returns to power 2006 as prime minister in the Alliance of National Unity until snap elections in September 2007, made Timoshenko prime minister again. Amid the 2008-2009 Ukrainian financial crisis, well, why is there a financial crisis? They were doing fine before. Well, it's because they have to redirect their resources. They have strikes. They have all these things that grind their gears to a halt. And they want to turn the people against the government. This is what happens. Jesus. It's the same, it's the same players. It's the same group that want to just get in and, you know, pull the levers and essentially, you know, turn it into a grind, you know, turn everything into a grinding halt. It turned the people against the, uh, the government who was ever there, the face of the government, when the, the economy goes South, when there's less food, they start pointing fingers and like, okay, it's your fault. Disputes with Russia briefly stopped all gas supplies to Ukraine uh, in 2006 and 2000, uh, again, 2009, leading to gas shortages in other countries. Um, so Russia's pumping gas to Ukraine. Viktor Yanukovych was elected president in 2010 with 48% of the vote. It's 
not uncommon. So here we go, the Euro Maidan. This is the big, the big turning point here. The revolution of dignity. The Euro Maiden, uh, Euro Maiden Ukrainian protest started in November 2013. The, uh, after the president, uh, Viktor uh, Yanukovych, began moving away from an association agreement that had been in the works with the European Union and instead chose to establish closer ties to the Russian Federation. Oh, do you understand why this is all happening? It's like, no, we really don't want to be a part of the EU. You know, Russia's over here. 70% of the people in our country speak Russian. They don't speak French. They don't speak Italian. They don't speak Spanish. Sorry, they don't speak German. These are all countries that are represented by the EU. The majority of the people in our country speak Russian. We don't want to be a part of the EU. And the EU is trying to assert dominance. This is the big problem. This is the big issue. It's like, well, you can't have that. We don't want Russia to go stronger, and we want the EU to be all-encompassing. In fact, we want the EU to ultimately take over Russia. What do you, what do you think, you know, all that shit that was going on with Femin and Pussy Riot, right? Th th those were all essentially plots to undermine Putin and try to start a color revolution in Russia and flip Russia so Russia could become part of the fucking EU. And you know, Putin doesn't play like that. It's like, you know, screw you. And all these human rights organizations and groups came out in support of Femin and, uh, you know, Pussy Riot. And guess what happened? He said, fuck you. They're, they're going to jail, right? These, these are people, right? These are people who went into Russian Orthodox churches and began screaming epithets. And who knows, it, it, maybe they were backed by Putin to make him look strong. Maybe that, you know, it, we see this, we see this with these staged events, but I don't think so. I've looked into these players and they were trying to foment a color revolution inside of Russia and it didn't work because at the same time, there was all this propaganda coming from the West simultaneously, but how terrible Russia was. And it all started with the Olympics in Russia. Sort of bad-mouthing of Russia during those Olympics. Was, was it uh, Sochi? The Sochi Olympics? I'm like, what's going on here? Why are you, you bad-mouthing this country? And it, should, it was just ridiculous. And that's when it all started. And that's when all that stuff was happening. So it was a propaganda war. They were, they were trying to ignite a color revolution inside of Russia. It didn't work. So they're, they're still trying to flip Ukraine and bring them into the EU, uh, bring them into the uh, World Bank, um, the World Economic Fund, which is another version of the WEF. So let's keep going here. Meanwhile, the predominantly Russian-speaking East, large portion of the population opposed the Euromaidan protests instead supporting the uh, Yanukovych government. When, over time, <clears throat> Euromaidan came to describe a wave of demonstrations in civil unrest in Ukraine, the scope of which evolved to include calls for resignation of President Yanukovych and his government. So this thing starts in 2013. 
and eventually culminates in 2014. Violence escalated after January 16, 2014, when the government accepted new anti-protest laws. Violent anti-government demonstrators occupied buildings in the center of Kiev, including the Justice Ministry building, and riots left 98 dead with approximately 15,000 injured and 100 considered missing. From 18 uh, to 20 February, on February 21st, Yanukovych signed a compromise deal with the opposition leaders that promised constitutional changes to restore certain powers to parliament and call for early elections to be held by December. However, members of parliament voted, and look at the day here, 22 February, to remove the president by a set and set an election for May 25th to select his replacement. Petro Poroshenko running on a pro-European Union platform won with over 50% of the vote, therefore not requiring a runoff election. Upon his election, Poroshenko announced that his immediate priorities would be to take action in civil unrest in Eastern Ukraine and mend ties with the Russian Federation. Poroshenko was inaugurated on June 7th, 2014, as previously announced by a spokeswoman, uh, Irina Fritz, in a low-key ceremony without celebration on uh, Kiev's Nezelesnosti Independence Square, center of the Euromaidan protests. For the ceremony in October 2014, parliament elections, Petro Poroshenko blocked solidarity when 132 of the 423 seats. Not a majority, by the way. But this is an important day because guess what happens on the 22nd of February? Yukashenko flees Ukraine. So Ukraine is flipped on the 22nd of February. Is that interesting? 22nd of February, 2014. Now, guess what? You take eight years... That's from yesterday. Eight years later, you add eight years to 2014, and what do you get? You get 2022. Right, so 2-22-2022 is eight years after Ukraine essentially went into this new form of governance. So 322 is, for all intents and purposes, the Independence Day of Ukraine. I'm sorry, 222. Isn't that interesting? And then what's his name? I always get these guys mixed up. Uh, Yukashenko. Today's Yukashenko's birthday, 223. So the number game gets very weird. Very, very weird. And of course, when the sun comes around, on 222, it is literally promoting what's taking place here, right? It's promoting what's going on in Ukraine. It's bringing attention to it. It is the solar return in a lot of ways of Ukrainian independence. And it is now going to be the solar return and the Pluto return for the new independent regions, theoretically, of Ukraine. Fascinating stuff. But not here. No, we're fighting for our independence. And um, we have another situation brewing with a bunch of truckers going to Washington. Why? Why are they doing this? Yeah, that's right. Why? 
Jasper is asking the same question. You know, are we looking at another January 6th operation? You have to remember, there are truckers that are independent and there are truckers that are part of a union. They're the Teamsters, one of the most powerful unions in the world. And the, te uh, the Teamsters have always had political affiliations. Unions have political affiliations. Unions in this country, for better or worse, were born out of what took place in Detroit with the, with the manufacturing industry, right? This is the birth of the unions, AFL-CIO, Teamsters, the Auto Workers Union, unionization of workers, for better or worse. Like, you know, on, on the plus side, you could have safety conditions in the workplace that have to be adhered to, right? Workers' rights can be very important things. But I've also seen how people abuse unions. When a um, long time ago, I, I worked as a mail carrier and I did not belong to the postal workers union. By the way, Joel, if you're listening, shout out to you uh, and a belated happy birthday. Um, listener of the show. I think, he, I think he's still the, maybe the, what do you call the head of the union? for the spokesperson for his local area postal carriers. Great guy, Joel, by the way. Um, I, should re I should reconnect with him, send him an email. Anyway, uh, so I work as a mail carrier, but I had the one position in the post office where you didn't have to take a test. I was a rural route relief carrier, and I held that position for about a year and a half. It was a great job. Probably should have kept it but I probably wouldn't be here talking to you right now. If I did, I'd probably be a real estate mogul. And um, <laughs> uh, that's a whole other story. Anyway, um, so I took over for this woman who uh, was on pregnancy leave. Like that's how I got the job. She was only, you know, she was going to have a baby and she's going to be back in, I don't know, three months or something like that. But what happened is that she claimed that she fell on the job. So this is retroactive. This is before I was even there. And the postal workers union was standing by her. So what she's trying to do is she's, she's trying to milk the system and unions, you know, the, the, the downside of a union, well, it's like, okay, well, she's part of our brotherhood, our sisterhood. We're going to have to back her and we're going to have to uh, support her in this claim that she was injured. And as a result, she wants to get a settlement. And we've, we've seen this before with unions and they'll take on management and for better or worse, right? So there's a real gray area between unions being helpful 
and making sure that um, the rights of workers are represented. And there's a, you know, there's a downside unions. The teachers unions are a, a prime example of that. You know, they're basically this, uh, you know, this Leviathan, the teachers union is a, a Leviathan that is extremely powerful, very powerful. And if teachers go on strike, yeah, the unions will back him and teachers will get more. Hey, so there's a plus and a minus side to the whole union experience. Um, so bring it back to what's going on here is that we have this interesting mirror image, right? Anyway, that was the whole trucker thing. I wanted to bring it back to the trucker thing. We're not asking the truckers to go to Washington for us. We're not doing that. We're, you know, I'm not, you know, getting on truckers forums. Hey, can you guys go to Washington and do what they did in Canada? So who is doing it? That's what launched me into the discussion about the unions. It can be a union directive. And, and the unions at their heart, if you go back and look at unionization in this country, you'll find two groups that are very much behind unionization. I'll give you a clue on one of them. It's the same group that started the Federal Reserve. It's the same group that ran the Bolshevik Revolution. And it's this other group which has ties to socialism and communism, which are interlinked with this other group that I'm referring to, although not exclusively members of that group. These are the groups that are behind unionization. It suits their interest. And one of these days, maybe I'll do a show on Henry Ford because Henry Ford was like, fuck the unions. You know, they're going to come in, they're going to run my business, and I don't want them running my business. And there's a lot of really mixed historical perspectives on Henry Ford. Some said he was a real asshole. Other people said he was great to work for. He, you know, Of all the car companies, he treated his workers the best. He would go out on the line. He was an engineer. He'd love to roll up his sleeves and start turning wrenches and shit, right? So he, didn't, he said, let me take care of my people. And he took care of them fairly well. But then the union, the union organizers came in and started to create chaos. It's called a revolution inside a Ford Motor Company. He hired a thug to bring these, you know, union thugs to, you know, crack their heads. It's like, fuck that. I don't want these people taking control of my company. And then what happened is they started to bring the press in and he got really bad press. You know, so... We know that the left loves martyrs, and trust me, there were plenty of martyrs taking you know, baseball bat blows to the head that was happening. And all of a sudden now it's all over the newspapers, and uh, he's got a progressive son, Edsel Ford, um, the curse of the Edsel. And then his wife basically says, hey, look, I'm going to leave you if you don't stop your strong-arm tactics. He was playing the role of Yukashenkov or, you know, Henry Ford had to, in some ways, cohere to this model of being a dictator because he was experiencing a push. People wanted to come in and start to get their claws into their assets, his resources, 
and begin to uh, dictate to some degree how he was going to run his business. And he resented that. And I don't blame him. This is where we are. This is the, this is the, the nature of this material realm that we're in. It is parasitic. And the parasites will come in and they will do everything in their power to attack a host and then occupy the host. And they'll use any tactic that's available to them in order to achieve this end. This is where we are right now. We're dealing with an infestation of parasites on many levels, including your own body. All right, that's it for today. I don't want a hard break. Thanks for being here. Uh, we may return to the scene of the crime, Ukraine, tomorrow, uh, but we may not. But we'll be here. Use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart to some what's possible. Thanks, everybody, for helping out, chiming in, supporting the show. Check out the podcast. If you're on the podcast, come over to the live stream, 15minutesofflame.com. Take care. Bye for now.